All right, so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 26. And also we'll go to Mark chapter 15. Exodus 26. Verses. We're going to start verse 31 there. And then we'll go to Mark 15. And we'll start in 37 there. 15? Yes. So, this lesson is going to be called, titled, excuse me, Removing the Veil. And it'll make sense as we read the scripture. So in Exodus 26, starting in verse 31, it says, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work. With cherubim shall it be made, and thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of uh, shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver, and thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches, that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. This in Exodus is talking about the building of the uh, tabernacle. Of the where the place where God was going to dwell, and it's refer it's talking about how it's going to hang up this veil to separate from the people the holy place and the most holy place. And what was found in the holy place was the table of showbread and the lamp. You know the I forgot what it's called, but the like the lamp. Menorah? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, menorah, right? That that's is? what the Jewish people yeah. use. So that's where the lamp stood. And then there was the veil, and beyond the veil was the mercy seat and the Ark of the Testimony, which is, or the Ark of, uh, uh, drew a blank. Anyway, uh, inside, uh, so inside the holy place was where God dwelt. And the priests were only allowed to enter into that place once a year, right? So that is where God Himself dwelt. So now we're going to go over to Mark chapter 15. And it says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he, he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. So we see there that Jesus, as when Jesus was crucified, this is when Jesus was dying, that whenever he cried and gave up the ghost, when he died, that the veil in the tabernacle was torn into two from top to bottom. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about removing the veil. And uh, to begin, we're going to talk about how today in Christianity, we find that there's a large group of people, large group of Christians that have a casual attitude towards God. It's come to such a point that the people view what the the, the world outside of the church views what we do inside the church as nothing more than a country club or just a gathering where we come together and do whatever we do. So when uh, we come in and we sing our songs, we pay our dues, 
and listen to the speaker. We pat ourselves on the back uh, and we, uh, we pat ourselves on the back for blessing God with our presence. We think we're so, it's such a good thing that we're here that God is so happy with us just because we showed up. And we leave with no intention of allowing the Savior of this world to change our lives beyond what we've already allowed Him to do. We find ourselves not interested in seeing what God can do for us, but only focused on the fact that we showed up, we did what we were supposed to do, and we left. And the world outside of these walls see that. So we see we have no problem allowing Christ to pull us out of horrific sin and keep us from being a horrible person. But it's when Christ wants to do something more in our life that we have given Him. Uh, when Christ wants us to do something more with the life we have given Him, we start to put the brakes on, right? Whenever Christ comes to us and He says, Listen, I understand that you're saved. But when you come into my house, I don't want you to just simply be a part of the congregation. But I want you to be something more. Or I want you to do greater things. Pull you outside of what you normally do. This is what God, whenever God starts speaking that to us, a lot of times we have the tendency to hit the brakes. Wait a second, I'm not interested in that. Because I like to just come in, I like to hear the songs, I like to hear the preaching, and then I like to go home. That's all I want it to be, and that's all that we desire. A lot of times that's what the people of the church do, and that's what the world is seeing, right? So we pray that God to use us, but when He begins to lead us down a path that don't look very good, we say, wait a second, this cannot be God, right? Because we only want things that are good for ourselves. We find ourselves so selfish nowadays that whenever God wants to take us down a path that is not glamorous or that is not prosperous or doesn't give us all the new things, then we think, wait a second, God's not... This is not God. This can't be God because this isn't something I enjoy. So we've t- today we find ourselves in a place that if the path is not easy or if it will not prosper, then it's not God. We think to ourselves we're not going to go down that road because it's not of God. <clears throat> it's not something that benefits me because we are a people of material things. We always want the new phone or the new house or the new car, right? We see the new clothes and we think we want that. And uh, we're never satisfied with what we already have. We find ourselves desiring many different things, and we always forget that what we already have is a great blessing. You can see that the greatest this time of year. majority of people have probably already forgot what they got for Christmas. Nine times out of ten, you would find somebody that doesn't even care about the items that they've got because they... They're just so uh, prosperous, and they're only concerned about the next new thing, right? They're only concerned about what's going to benefit me next. All right, now I've got that item I want. What else is there to obtain? Uh, When we feel guilty about the thing we want, we begin to convince ourselves that we need it, or that we deserve it, or we just justify ourselves in obtaining that item, right? Because we are only focused on ourselves. We're only interested in what will affect me. What makes me feel good. What makes me happy in the church service. What makes me happy in the body of Christ that I'm a part of. Uh, The children of Israel when leaving the land of Egypt did the same thing. When things got hard, whenever it was taking them down a road that they, they thought was a little difficult, they began to talk about how, oh, how good we had it back in Egypt. 
whenever we had plenty of food, whenever we had all of this, we weren't out here in the desert starving. But the reality of it was is that what they had in Egypt was bondage, right? What they had there was slavery. And yet we find ourselves just like the children of Israel. We're no different than they were 3,000 years ago. And yet we'll find ourselves now being saved by the grace of God, sitting in the church house, unwilling to move forward with God because what we find sitting in the church pew is more comfortable than getting out beyond what we're comfortable with, right? God's calling us beyond something than just sitting. He's calling us beyond something than what we're already doing, and we find it difficult. And we'll find that maybe it's better to just return to what I was, because this may be difficult. This may cause me pain. This may cause me discomfort. We want God to remove us from Egypt, bondage or sin, but when He takes us through the desert and places us at the edge of what He wants for us, we see giants and refuse God's plan. The children of Israel were led through that desert and they were brought to the promised land, right? And whenever they sent the spies in, they sent 12 spies into Egypt, or not into Egypt, but into the promised land, and they came back and they said, there's giants there. We can't beat them. They're too powerful. They'll just slaughter us. We cannot obtain it. The same thing goes for us. We'll come to what God wants us to. He'll lead us through a hard time. And then He'll bring us into His promise. He will bring us to the edge of it. And we will look in and we will see that it's difficult. We'll see that there's fear. We'll see that there's a... um, We'll see that there's some great obstacle that may cause us harm or may cause us discomfort, and we refuse it. And if you remember the story that the children of Israel, whenever they rejected and refused to enter into the promised land, having God with them, knowing that they were able to overcome the enemy, but in fear turned back, they had to spend another 40 years in the wilderness. Right, That old generation that was fearful had to die off. God did not give them that promised land. He instead refused to give it to them and caused them to live in the desert the rest of their life. Right, To, to weed out that. And that behavior it was just fear. Fear of fully submitting to the will of God. God had a purpose for the children of Israel. And that purpose was to enter the promised land. To obtain it. That day, they could have obtained what it was that God had for them. But instead, they chose, they chose something that was less than. They chose the wilderness. They chose God being with them, yes. But they were in a place that was not God's perfect plan. So whenever I talk about that, there's a, play, there's a type of armadillo in Brazil. Don't know the name of it. I know you'd like that. Uh, you can look it up. Or I'll look it up. Uh, but that whenever somebody tries to touch this armadillo, whenever it's attacked or feels threatened, that armadillo will roll up into a ball, like a really tight ball. And uh, so just like that armadillo, we become the same way whenever God tries to touch something in our life, something that's in our life that's hindering the will of God. Uh, hindering God's plan for us. It may be sin. It may not. It may just be a simple, uh, simple thing that's just distracting you from God's purpose with you. But whatever it is, we're just like that whenever God goes to touch us, whenever God tries to lead us into that promised land, we roll up and we, we, we become fearful. We hide from God because what He wants for us is scary. Because what He wants for us may be discomfort, may, uh, may be uncomfortable. 
He may be calling us into something great, but because we are unwilling to, do, to allow Him to remove the things, whether it be pleasure or even sin, we roll into that ball and we refuse the will of God in our life. I was given an interesting thought in India. If you remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, how can I be born or how can I uh, be born again? How can I obtain our eternal life? I think it was. And Jesus said to him, go and sell everything. Actually, first he said to keep the commandments, uh, love your neighbor as yourself goes on. Everybody's familiar. And Jesus, uh, the, the man said, all of this have I kept since I was a child. And Jesus said, we'll go sell everything. And give it to the poor and follow me. And Jesus was, uh, and that man left, right? He left sorrowful, didn't sell his things, and he didn't follow Christ because he was a wealthy person. But the thought that was presented to me was what if that rich young man, uh, what if he was going to be Judas's replacement? Because we know Judas sold uh, Jesus the, the, the information of who Jesus was for, I believe, 30 pieces of silver, and he, was, and he died. Judas was replaced. I forget now who it was uh, off the top of my head. But Judas was replaced. But what if that man would have been Judas's replacement? Would have been one of the 12 original disciples? What if that would have been that man's lot? What if that would have been what, God, what Jesus was wanting him to be? And he just passed that up, completely ignored that opportunity. Why? Because it would have caused him discomfort. He would have had to sell his riches, would have had to sell all of his wealth, and follow this man that had no home. That was an, a, a, a profound and difficult thing for that man to imagine. And he refused it. Why? Because it would have been uncomfortable. Because it would have caused him pain. So salvation is not simply the end of what God has for His people. Right? That man, that rich young man said that he had kept God's commandments since he was a child. Kept His commandments. Uh, so therefore, according to the Old Testament, he was justified. He would have been justified in keeping God's commandments and doing what needed to be done. He was a, in, in the natural sense, he was considered a righteous person. But he refused God's perfect plan for him. He refused what Christ offered him. And it was because of his riches. He desires, us to, bring, he desires to bring us into a perfect place, uh, a place of total submission, so that he can perform his perfect plan through us. We read, we read in Exodus 23, or 26 rather, about a veil, and that veil is what separated the holy place from the most holy place. When you entered the tabernacle, you entered the holy place, right? You were in a holy place with God. But there was a place beyond the veil that, uh, that was separated by the veil, and that place was the most holy place where God Himself dwelt. Only the priest could enter that place, and that was where the priest would enter in and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat that sat upon the Ark of the Testimony. And that was what was atonement for your sin, right? Uh, so now by entering that holy place and presenting your sin offering, you became justified. And it rolled your sin, sin over for the next year until that final sacrifice, which was Christ. Christ was that final sacrifice. Everybody's sins was rolled over from year to year by the sprinkling of the blood of rams and lambs and different things. Uh, 
But it wasn't until Christ. When Christ died, that was that final sacrifice that made atonement for everyone's sin forever. Now when Christ was crucified, the Bible tells us that the veil was rent into two. The veil represented the separation from us and the holiness of God. And we, uh, we was not only unable to enter the most holy place in the natural, but we cannot come anywhere near the holiness of God in the spiritual. We couldn't enter in, the people could not enter into the most holy place in that natural sense. They could not go beyond that veil because the presence of God would kill them because He was so righteous and so holy, they would drop dead. Only the priest, after he went through a a series of rituals, a purifying of himself to be uh, justified before God, could enter in to make an atonement for everybody. One time. One time a year, I believe. Uh, Let's see, I lost my place. But now that the most holy place is open, because Jesus died and the veil was ripped, uh, no longer are we separated. We have a full access to the most holy place through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We have access to God, right? Through Christ, because that veil was ripped and God Himself uh, now dwells inside of us through His Spirit. Right? It was the Spirit of God that dwelled in there. So we find ourselves standing in the tabernacle because we are saved by the sprinkling of the blood of Christ on the mercy seat. Christ was sacrificed for our sin. We are saved. We are found standing into that holy place. Uh, but we are redeemed by His blood and our sin have been forgiven, but there is still a most holy place. A mercy seat we have access to, and an ark of the testimony that lies beneath that seat. God never intended us for intended for us to stop at salvation, but today we find ourselves so busy with what we want, uh, we never hear the Lord prompting us to look what was deeper than the mercy seat. We only find that we were satisfied with standing in that holy place. We're satisfied with our sin being forgiven, that that mercy seat was sprinkled by the blood, and that, uh, that we are able to uh, have communion with God, but we never find ourselves looking deeper. We don't find ourselves looking what's beneath that mercy seat, which is the Ark of the Testimony. And what lies beneath that mercy seat is that tes- the Ark of the Testimony. The Ark of the Testimony contained three things. If you remember, uh, I don't know how much they teach in Sunday school or children's church on this, but inside that Ark of the Testimony uh, were three things. And it was the law that Moses wrote on the stone tablets. It was the jar of manna, which was what fed the children of Israel in Egypt. And it was Aaron's rod. You remember Aaron that spoke for Moses? It was uh, Aaron's rod that budded. That rod was used to, to, as, a, as a symbol that Aaron was chosen and anointed by God to speak, right? So inside that you had the three things. The law, the manna, and Aaron's rod. Why is it called the Ark of the Testimony? It is not only God's testimony of what He has done, but what He will do. God made that Ark of the Testimony to be a testament. This is my law. And this is my provision, and this is my anointing. 
This is what I want for my people. And it not only was done for, uh, was for then, but it is what God is going to do in you and I. If we are willing to allow God to take us beyond the mercy seat, this is what you can expect Him to do. He has written His law on stone, but the Bible says that He will write His law on your heart. You will no longer walk in sin, but you will hate sin. It's not because the law was written on the stone and then, or written in your Bible that you read that and you say, look, this is wrong. I understand that. But no, He's going to write His law on your heart. You will no longer look at sin being able to accept it. It will grieve you. It will disgust you whenever you see that sin. So that is the promise. If you go beyond just simple salvation, He will write His law on your heart. You will find sin to be disturbing. He will provide for you being the manna. He will feed you manna from heaven. Uh, The children of Israel found themselves complaining about that. So don't be surprised if you find yourself complaining about the provision of God. God will provide for you spiritually. He will give you, He will lift you up in times of darkness. He will help you through difficult times. He will feed you. He will sustain you not only in the spiritual, but He will sustain you in the natural. He will provide your every need. The Bible says that. That is God's provision. His promise for you is that He will provide for you. And finally, Aaron's rod that budded. This was to symbolize that God chose Christ. And if Christ is in you, and you are in Him, God has chosen you for a work. God chose Aaron with that rod, and He placed that, He wanted that rod placed in the Ark of the Testimony to show that He has chosen Christ. He has chosen Christ for a great work. And because Christ is in you, He has chosen you for a great work. And all of this God desires to do, uh, to do in your life, but just like the rending of that veil, that natural veil, Christ had to rend it. Christ had to rip that veil. It was by the death of Christ that that veil was ripped. But it is still by Christ that that veil will be ripped for you. It is allowing Christ to come in and have full reign in you. Allowing Him to, to uh, direct you into, different, uh, into things beyond what you imagine. And uh, I'm going to just read these verses out of 2 Corinthians 3 and 14. I'm going to just read them quick. You don't have to turn there. But their minds were blinded. For unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when I shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all... With open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The first scripture there, the verse first, says, But their minds were blinded from until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. When that, what that's talking about, it talks about when Moses is read. When the law is read to people, that veil is still covered. People that have not gone on, uh, have not submitted to the leadership of the Lord, will find that that veil is still there, separating them from the most holy place, separating them from the testimony of God, not, not able to obtain what it is that God wants them to have. 
So it was the death of Christ that was needed to rend that veil. And we must die in order to uh, we uh, we must die to this world in order to see that same testimony in our lives. Uh, when we lay our lives down and give this life to Christ, we will find that Jesus wants to share His experiences with us to help us know who He is and what taking up His cross really means. Now what it takes for God to rent, uh, for God to rend the veil in your life is just what it took for Christ to rend the veil 2,000 years ago. And that is to fully submit to the will of God and to lay your life down for His purpose. Christ, in order to rend that veil, He had to submit to the will of God. We remember that when Jesus prayed, He was praying to God in the garden and He was saying, Not my will, but Thy will be done. That implies that Jesus, as a man, though He was God in a fleshly form, He had a will of His own. He did not want to experience it. But it was not His will, but God's will to be done. It was the same thing in order for that veil to be rent in your life, to be able to obtain what it is that God has. The same thing must be done, and it's to fully submit to the will of God. To lay your life down. To be a willing sacrifice. Uh, uh, in doing this, Christ will share some very personal things. And that is His testimony. In that ark of the testimony is God's testimony to this world. It is, was His testimony in the Old Testament. Not only to show what He did, but it was a testimony to show what He's going to do. He's going to do it in each and every one of us. He's going to write His law in our heart. He's going to provide for us. And He is going to anoint us. All because of Christ, right? It was all because of Christ. And some of these personal things that He's going to share with us to prepare us to know what it is that God wants to do for us, one of the things that he shared with me, he shared with me while I was in India. Uh, I was told that what I've, uh, by some people, that what I experienced, that what God shared with me was referred to some as the dark night of the soul. And it is a small taste of what Christ went through in the garden before, cruci uh, being, before being crucified. So I'll explain the story here. The whole time leading up to the trip, there was very little fear. I was not fearful of leaving the country. It was not a. It wasn't a terrifying thing. There was. It was nerve wracking, right? It was. I had nerve. I was nervous about it, but I was not necessarily uh, afraid. And we. Uh, so we landed and we stayed one night in a hotel before we traveled on north to Sigillary, uh, still with no fear. I was just. Happy to be there. There was no problem. But when we arrived at the compound and entered the gates, it began to uh, become nervous, more so, a little fearful. And when it came time to sleep, I fell asleep relatively easily. But I woke up in the middle of the night. And I woke up. It was really strange. I woke up and I was completely filled with fear. It was completely terrifying. It was, so, it was irrational fear. To such an extent, I can't really explain it. Uh, but I came, I, I come to the point where I was extremely homesick. I just wanted to go home. If I could have gotten an airplane ticket in the middle of the night, I would have. I mean, I was completely done with it. It was my, I guess, second night there, but first night actually where we were going to spend the first week. And if had I could have left, I would have. And I was... Uh, 
would even try to calm myself down, but there was just it was just overwhelming with how I, it was unexplainable. And I would pray, but there I had received no comfort. There there just was no comfort from God. It seemed like God was nowhere to be around, and it was just such a darkness. But I was finally able to fall asleep after spending hours. I don't remember. I don't know how long it was, but a very long time it felt uh, of praying, trying, trying to calm myself down. I finally fell asleep by the grace of God. And when I woke up in the morning, uh, I experienced that scripture. Everybody's heard of it, but it, it said that God's mercies are new every morning. And I experienced that in a way I'd never experienced it before. A renewed peace and a desire to stay and minister to the people. It was so amazing. That feeling of relief. Because the, the fear was so great. And the darkness was so great. That I was just... All I wanted to do was to go home. But the next morning, the peace that came with it. And the Lord showed me He was sharing something special. And that He shared with every person that desi- desired to... Fully submit to the will of God. There are men that I've talked to that have experienced the same darkness multiple times in their life. Because it's just submitting to the perfect will of God. This is one thing that causes discomfort. A lot of people may be brought to the edge of and will turn back just like the children of Israel. Because they don't want to experience the fear. They don't want to experience the fear of witnessing to the friends. They don't want to experience the fear of ministering to their family members. They don't want to experience the fear of being called out beyond what they are used to, right? And because of they're not willing to experience that, they turn away from the very will of God. They turn away from God's provision in their life. Now, what's interesting is the same darkness fell on Abraham in Genesis 15 and 12. And it says, When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And lo, an hour uh, and, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. This darkness fell on Abraham during the covenant God was making with him that would cause him to be the father of many nations. I've talked about this before, but this covenant that God made with him, he told Abraham to divide a heifer and to lay it out. And this was making a covenant with him. This is how they would make covenants or make a contract, better yet, in those days. And they would pass pass through this as they made their contract. And this was a very strong bond in them days, I'm to understand. And, uh, but what you find interesting is that whenever God made that covenant with Abraham, Abraham fell into a dark sleep, a deep, dark sleep. And that what he found, what he seen was, was that between that offering was a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. That was God making a covenant, not necessarily with Abraham, but with himself. Right? God made a covenant with Himself that Abraham would be a great nation. That Abraham would have a son that was born by Him. Right, That was God's promise. Uh, the same darkness was on Christ 
the horror that caused the blood to come out of his pores, the great fear that came over him was right before he would become the Savior of all people. That covenant that was made with Abraham was before God was going to actually perform it, right? He spent a long time before that provision came. But Jesus, whenever he was in that darkness, in the garden praying, it said that his sweat became great drops of blood. That uh, the, the fear that came over him was unexplainable to the to the there's an actual i'm on uh, to my understanding there's an actual medical condition that you can actually become so afraid that your body will actually start sweating blood and it's it's uh, uh, supposed to be such a great fear or uh an unimaginable fear that maybe most people lose consciousness before that even ex- actually happens. But it takes a great amount of fear, a great amount of distress for your body to react in that way. But Jesus experienced that great darkness, that great fear, and that great pain right before He became the Savior of the world, right? He experienced all of that. He knew what was coming. So it, I, I, I simply experienced a small portion of what that darkness was. But know that if you if you really want to know Christ, He will share His dark experience with you. But that's not a thing to be fearful of because it's what God is bringing you into. It is God bringing you into something greater. And in the moment, you will feel alone and have no hope. You will physically hurt with the amount of fear. But remember this, that, uh, that it's not the end of you that the Lord is performing in you what He desires you to experience. This is what's stepping outside of your natu- your normal routine, stepping outside of your comfort zone, performing the perfect will of God. He has a plan beyond salvation for you, and He wants you to use it in this dark world. He wants you to submit to His plan in this world to save the lost and to heal the brokenhearted. That is His purpose for you. His testimony was to save the world. Your testimony is to save this world. Right? We're not simply saved to sit in our pews. We are saved to spread the gospel. That is what He's called us to. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. That doesn't mean you have to travel across this world. You can spread that gospel here. God is calling you into something and He's going to lead you into it and He may lead you into it tomorrow. He may lead you into it next week, next year, or in 10 years. I don't know. But it's simple submission of wanting to be fully submitted to the perfect plan of God. The ability to meet God on that mercy seat is real. He wants us to take... He wants to take you beyond salvation and show you the deep things of God. He doesn't want you to simply be satisfied with salvation, but He wants to take you deeper. He wants you to experience what He experienced. He wants you to love like He loves. He wants you to... to uh, to care about people the way He cares about people. He wants you to speak the way He wants, uh, he wants to speak through you. He wants, us to open, he wants to open up the heavens in your life. It may not look glamorous or prosperous, but it will lay up heavenly riches you cannot even imagine. God is preparing us to be something greater than what uh, we think can be done. God wants to take us into something more impressive than we ever imagined. He wants you to reach more people than you ever thought you could reach. He wants you to know God in a greater way than he than you ever thought you could know God. And here's a pretty uh, a bold statement 
It's profound in, in, in a lot of ways. In 2 Corinthians ver, chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, But if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. To those that are lost, that's who the gospel is hid from. Whose responsibility is it to show the lost the gospel? But it's you and I. God wants to use us to spread the gospel. God wants us to use us to show the lost who Christ is. He, that is His purpose for us. It is not to simply to come and, and to uh, sit on the pew and be a part of the service, listen to the song, listen to the preaching, and go our separate ways. It's not for us in this youth group to just come and have a lock-in once in a while or to have a, uh, a fall festival or, or just to have a pizza party or do a play or, or give presents out to, to people at Christmas time. But he wants this youth group to be uh, a body of Christ that reaches the community, that reaches people, that spreads the gospel. He wants you to speak to your friends, to tell them about Christ. He wants you to speak to your family, to show them that there's a greater depth of Christ than just showing up for church and doing the status quo. So will we continue to be satisfied with the bare minimum? Or will we decide to stop, stop hiding and allow God to make us a mighty vessel that will pour life into this world? Are we just going to remain, remain content with salvation, standing in the holy place? Or will we decide that we can walk with Christ, that we will submit to Him and allow us to enter into that most holy place to where we enter into God's testimony, that God's testimony becomes our testimony, that we actually perform in this world what God wants to be performed, that we will pour life into this world, that we will... Find drug-addicted people and show them Christ that their chains would come off. That we would find homosexuals bound in their sexual lust. That they would come to know Christ in such a way because we ministered to them. Because we took this gospel beyond the Bible, beyond the walls of the church, and reached people that are dying and going to hell. Is that what we desire? Is that the, is that the life that we want lived? Is that the life we want to live for God? Or are we simply satisfied with sitting on the pew? Are we simply satisfied with watching people go to hell, but knowing that we are saved? Can you live the rest of your life knowing that you will go to eternal security in Christ while others are dying and going to hell and not do anything about it? Can you live that life? Can you live comfortably knowing that people are going to hell because you will not speak, because you will not tell them, because you will not submit your life to Christ, because you will not allow Him to bring you into that most holy place? Will you allow people to go to hell because you are not willing to experience that darkness? Are you not willing to give up some comfort of this world in order to impact the lives of people that are lost in darkness? Were you not willing to pull them out? Are you not willing to bring them into the light of the gospel just because you don't want to give up your nice fancy phone or your nice clothes or your, uh, your social status with your friends? Or maybe you won't look cool anymore. Maybe you won't have time to do the things you want to do. 
Will you be willing to lay that all down in order to know that God's will is being worked out perfectly in your life? Now when you submit to that will, know that that testimony is God's testimony. And you cannot mess that testimony up. It is not by works that you perform this, but it is by submission to God. God made that covenant with Abraham. He, met, he told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And it didn't matter that Abraham did things that may have uh, complicated it. It never changed the promise. Abraham had a son with, his, uh, with uh, Sarah's handmaid, had Ishmael, right? That caused a lot of problems, but did that change God's promise? No, it didn't. God ran off to Egypt, or not God, uh, Abraham ran off to Egypt outside of the will of God, but that did not change the promise of God. uh, That same covenant that God made with Abraham, He made with you and I. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, God said, said to His Son, if you will die, I will save you. If you're willing to be sacrificed, I will save these people from hell. I will will justify them, I will sanctify them, and I will do a great work in them if you are willing to die. God made the covenant with Himself because He could swear by no other. He made that covenant with Abraham, uh, not with Abraham, but with Himself, promising Abraham that He would be a great people. Jesus or God made the promise with us that we would be saved. He didn't make that promise with us. He did not make that new covenant with us, but he made that new covenant with himself. He promised himself that he would make us a sanctified and holy people that would reach the lost. You cannot mess this up. You cannot do anything to harm God's perfect plan. The only thing you can do is not perform it by refusing to enter into that perfect will that God has for you. By refusing to to submit to Him is the only way you can disrupt God's plan. And even then, God's plan will be performed in this earth. It just will not include you. Because you chose to walk away from it. Because you chose like the rich man to turn from Christ and walk away from the provision of God. To walk away from the anointing of God. To walk away from Him doing a great work in your life. So knowing that God's plan will be worked out perfectly has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. You may fall into sin. You may stumble at times. But it's God's promise with Himself that He would make you a holy person to be able to reach the lost people. And you cannot mess it up. You cannot change God's promise. You cannot make it to where it will not come to pass. But you can remove yourself out of it. And it is simply submitting to God that brings you into that perfect will, that brings you into that perfect plan. It is my submission to the Spirit of God that brings, that took me into India. It is my submission to the will of God, to the Spirit of God, that made me a youth leader in this church. It was not because I did anything special, but it was because I, Christ called, His Spirit led, and I simply said, yes, I'll go. It was nothing more. It was not because I knew the Bible, because I don't. It was not because I'm good at what I do, because I'm not. But it is because the Spirit of God led me, and I was, for whatever reason, willing to say yes. By the grace of God, I was willing to say yes. 
That is the only thing that separates you from the perfect will of God. That is the only thing that separates you from bringing great revival in your school or in your family. And that is because the only thing that separates that is whether or not you will say yes to it. God wants to save your family. God wants to bring your family from just simply attending church with no interest of knowing God to bringing them into the kingdom of God and impacting lives in such a way they never imagined. And He wants to do it and He wants to do it through you. He wants to use you. He's calling into you. And will you answer yes? That's the simple, that's the simple question. Is it yes or no? Will you allow God to bring you into the most holy place? Or will you be content with your salvation, watching other people remain stagnant in their relationship with God, remain lost into sin, and going to hell? Will you be comfortable in that? Or will you say yes to the Spirit of God and allow Him to enter into you? and you into Him and bring you into that most holy place to make His testimony your testimony, reaching this world for a greater cause than you just being comfortable. And that is, that is uh, removing the veil in your life. Removing that veil that separates you from the most holy place is obedience to the Spirit of God. Calling you out into something greater. Calling you into something more. Calling you into something that you never dreamed would be. I never once dreamed I would go into another country to, to preach to people, to minister, minister the gospel. And yet I found myself there. And yet I find myself being led to go back again. And that is the will of God. Not because I'm good at it. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea why I'm going. I have no idea what will be done when I get there. But it is the Spirit of God that's leading me. And I want to see souls saved. If you won't hear me here, I'm willing to go across the world to find some people that will hear the gospel. If you're not willing to hear the gospel, I will go find people that want to hear it. That is the mentality we must have. We must want to enter into the Holy of Holies to such an extent that whenever God leads you to your family or to your friends and you, and you want to present the gospel to them, if they will not hear, are you willing to go beyond that? Are you willing to go beyond what God has placed you right now and to go into what He's leading you into? Is that what you desire? And if so, it's simple Obedience. It's simple submission. It's a it's a here I am, send me kind of attitude. I am simply obedient to what God wants to be done. We must have that attitude to come to know God in a greater way. So, if you want to have time of prayer, we'll just go ahead and pray. We'll we'll have a time of prayer. You can come up here and pray. We can have special prayer if you feel God specifically leading you into something and, and you've not submitted to it or you have submitted to it and you want comfort, whatever it may be, we can pray for that tonight. We can pray for it special prayer. Otherwise, you can just stay where you're at, however you want to do it. Either way, it doesn't matter, but we're just going to have a time of prayer.